Here we go. What's up, guys? John Sintez here. Awesome podcast today. 48, I believe. Cass Kreitlow and our special guest. Cass, go ahead. Why don't you introduce our guy? We got Clint Russell. Um, Clint, introduce yourself because you'll do this better than me. Hey, guys. Uh, Clint Russell here. Uh, I'm a doctor of physical therapy, owner of a practice uh, called One Life Physical Therapy, and CrossFit Coronado. So I met Clint through the CrossFit gym that I started going to, and um, yeah, we just got talking, and and so we 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 just have some similar interests in movement. Obviously, some experiences between my rehab in the past, John's rehab. Um, so I think we're just going to be having a conversation um, today. I think I was listening to the Eric Hussey podcast about the elbow, and he said. We're going to be talking to two different audiences with the, the, the little leaguer in mind, but also going into some things like uh, Tommy John. And, you know, we just had a player last night that is, what, 10, 11 months out and, and starting to get after it and feeling really good. And, and this is, uh, this, unfortunately, there's a lot of people going through that. So we're going to kind of go both ends of the spectrum there with, uh, with Clint. So, yeah, this is kind of get to know each other a little bit more. So I think the first place to start is um, – yeah, give me, I know there's a CrossFit background, um, I, I'm fairly new, GPT, yes? Uh, so, I'm a physical therapist and finished for December 2017, you know, passed my board, got licensed in California in August of 2018. Yep. Uh, I started, actually, long before that, uh, as a member of CrossFit Coronado back in 2008, and I started working there, and then I took over the gym in 2010. How old were you in 2008? 2010, I was 26, so like 24. Okay, so what's your, what are you doing before CrossFit? So what's your background before CrossFit? So before CrossFit, I was in the Navy. Okay. Uh, you know, I was in the Navy. Um, so I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking like, what's your movement history like? Yeah. You know what I mean? Were you playing sports growing so, up? Like how, before CrossFit, how did you get to CrossFit? So basically, I, uh, you know, I played football in high school. I was really into that. And before that, I was in gymnastics uh, and martial arts. I did gymnastics from about age 4 to age 11. You know, when I was 7, I had my tonsils taken out and tubes put in my ears. But then I got an infection in my left eardrum where the tube was. And it essentially ate my eardrum, for lack of a better word. Whoa. And so when I was 9, I had to have it like, reconstructed. So you can imagine your ears have a lot to do with so you can imagine like how that affects me in gymnastics. So I was getting to be like pretty good age seven. You know, I was starting to be like a jack little seven year old from doing gymnastics, and then that happened, and it's just like wow. It was like just like starting completely over. Like so I went down. I was a mess. Um, then by the time I was nine, I was kind of starting to get the hang of this again, and then that happened. It was just like bam, and it, you know, so I had to kind of start completely over. Twice, so, um, but that was a really good experience for me, um, you know, just in, in kind of learning how to handle adversity. Then at age 11, I stopped doing gymnastics, played football because I was from Texas, and that's what you do. Yeah, I'm from the South, too. I get it. I know what's up. Yeah, <laughs> that's what everybody does. And I think part of it is my parents wouldn't let me play until I was in seventh grade, so I, like, really wanted to play because they wouldn't let me play until then. So that's what I did. I did football uh, and track throughout high school. Um, then 
I got into college and I wanted to join the Navy. And, you know, I wanted to be a SEAL. And I worked insanely hard to, to do that. Um, in four years, I missed one day of training in college. Uh, you know, I had been playing football up until then. So I've been working, you know, once I decided I want to go to the Navy, I uh, did uh, a lot of swimming, trying, it's kind of more the other end of that, but working on like the distance pass stuff. Um, and I, I got accepted to, to go in 2000. I left, I left was October 2006, went to Oxford Candidate School, um, then went to basic underwater duels for SEAL training. I uh, finished that in February, February 2008. Yeah, right, right about Valentine's Day is when I finished BUDS. Uh, then I went to do all the follow on training. And in August, I was, uh, you know, this, this was a hard thing for me to deal with, but three months before finishing the follow-on, or no, three, three, four, like a month before, I was supposed to get my pen and go to a team. Uh, you know, I got fired. So it's, it's kind of, I got dropped, essentially, from training. Uh, you know, I just wasn't getting a job done. I wasn't doing a good job leaving my platoon. And so that's kind of the way it worked. And, you know, I worked my whole life to, to get that point. Like, um, you know, in college, I... Trained my ass off, got my degree. I also went to paramedic school at the same time. I think at one point I was taking 28 hours of coursework um, in one semester. Ooh. And that's a pretty major thing. Uh, pretty big deal that happened to me. I kind of like, I wasn't really, maybe I wasn't really sure what to do with me. I wasn't really sure what to do. So I kind of hung around and I was trying to lobby for them to let me get finished. So I literally had a month. I mean, I had orders to team. Um, you know, my mother had actually bought the plane tickets to see me graduate, but, uh, anyhow, I went to, they sent me on loan to the army, uh, to go to school in May. Uh, I got back and I was out of Navy off of payroll. And, um, you know, I went from, I think the week before I was jumping out of the back of C-130, um, and then next week, I didn't have a way to pay my bills, you know, and I have, I live in Coronado with an apartment lease there, and you can imagine how not having an income in that situation works out. So, I've been a naval officer, and I, I didn't know what to do, so I got a job as a personal trainer at Valley Soul Fitness, making $7.25 an hour. That was probably the lowest point Lowest point in my life, I would say. Well, then I got hired. Uh, I did that for a little bit. It was, it was pretty awful. Um, then I got hired uh, as an instructor at Navy Marine Corps Sear School, where I taught the field portion for several years. Um, and during that time, I found CrossFit. And that, that was a really positive thing for me because uh, I, I know one of my instructors from when I was in the Navy on the gym um, started working out there. Uh, about the time I got hired, hired uh, in North Island. I started also coaching classes there. And, you know, time goes on. He kind of had a kid and, one of, you know, got his master's and moved to the East Coast. And so I really wanted to open a gym. So he sold me that gym and uh, took over, you know, I took over August 1st, 2010. And 
kept doing that as well as my other job up until March of 2012. I had, had my daughter in April. I quit my job then. Uh, and then I went, I decided to go to physical therapy school in January of 2014. Uh, I had a lot of ankle problems. There, you know, I've walked with a limp for a really long time. I had a foot injury when I was in the Navy. I kind of just like perpetuated. You know, I uh, ended up developing my bone spur, my Achilles. It was um, basically in front of the tendon on the heel. So when I would step forward, you were cutting the tendon. And they had to, uh, went on for like eight and a half years. And kind of like you, like with your situation, I kind of just got to run around. And even like my professors at school, like you should not have surgery, you should not have surgery. You know, but with a bone spur, physical therapy can't help a bone spur. You got to cut it off. And I went eight and a half years dealing with that. And I had surgery um, in September of 2017. And now I'm okay. I had surgery. took me about three months to recover. It took till about now for me to be just like completely fine. I don't have any issues. You know, I just kind of slowly got better. But if I had been... You know, if, if somebody would have, I, I saw a lot of people and, and they were like, we can help you, we can help you, you know, and it didn't necessarily help my foot. I think it kind of delayed the inevitable. Um, but all this like self-care stuff that you see, I got, I got a chance to play around with that for years before I ever went to physical therapy school. Um, I was really influenced by Mobility Wad, um, got to mess around with all that stuff with people. Kelly Starrett. And then I went to physical therapy school learned what all the body parts do, and I had all this experience under my belt already. So, you know, I've kind of, of the thought was, we don't, we don't want to tell someone they can't do something. You know, instead, we want to show them the roadmap of what they need to do to be able to do it. You know, I run a, you know, my physical therapy practice doesn't take insurance. Um, it allows me to spend a lot more time with people. You know, my sessions are an hour because, you know, a lot of times, if we need to explain to the person like why this is wrong, and we can come up with, with a solid plan that allows them to get to where they want to be. That's pretty much that's pretty much my story. And uh, I used to own, I also own Outlier CrossFit, which I sold to the current owners. Uh, and that's where I can, and that's where he goes, and that's on the pass. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay, so there there was a lot there. You tugged at the heartstrings. Um, you know, there's some stuff I got. There were some things that uh, you said that I. Uh, I, I want to ask you about your gymnastics experience as a young kid. Um, we talk about that all the time with our young athletes, especially the ones that don't have a lot of balance. Do you feel like that that's like, I feel like it's a game changer. I see it with my nephew and he's like two and three. And in the matter of like a couple months, his like entire balance system changed in the matter of like two, three weeks with a thing. But, you know, knowing what you know now and then looking back to when you were younger do you feel like that, you know, what, what do you feel about your experience before I go too far and ask too many leading I mean, questions? The gymnastics, the gymnastics is huge, but I think while it didn't necessarily help me with gymnastics at the time, the two ear surgeons had to start over and relearn it all again. I think that helped me tremendously being able to pick up new skills later on. And I mean, the, the neurological adaptation gymnastics, I, I don't know of anything else that really even comes close to that. The, 
like there's a girl I work with. Um, she's going to go compete at junior nationals and weightlifting in February. She was a gymnast stock when she was 19. She's been lifting weights for a year and it's going to be junior nationals. Yeah. I mean, and I had never lifted before and I was like, all right, this is how you snatch it. She's like, okay. And can literally just reproduce that. You know, it can just cut like you can show her how to do it and she can just copy you. Like it, the, their ability to pick up skills is vastly superior to someone who doesn't have that experience. It's like dance too. I've um, I've dated some dancers in the past, and and they like even just their ability to remember things like uh, hearing music. Um, so it's it's I don't know. It, just thinking about what you can unlock is is really what I'm thinking about right now. But I, I'm wondering. I, I think what you're getting at is more of just like for younger players, they it, the whole thing is like play all the sports, right? But then like. I know that Eric Cressy makes uh, some comments of like uh, swimming might not be the best cross training with baseball because it develops so much more laxity in the shoulder and we are, you know, baseball players need stability in the shoulder and that would be counterproductive to what you're trying to do. You know, where am I, am I correct? Yeah, no, yeah. That, gymnastics yeah. a good cross training thing? Yeah, I, I think, I think that's my question that I want to ask. That's Cass, you're exactly right. Like, do you feel like it's a more efficient way to develop athleticism? For oh, absolutely, like absolutely, because not only do you have those neurological adaptations that we just talked about, the stability that they develop in the shoulders. You know, going to the example I was using for this Olympic lifting, like she can just get into the right positions already. You know, she's staying over her head. Like you don't have to, like there's this base there that, that wouldn't otherwise be present. You know, not only do they have good range of motion, but they have stability and strength. The entirety of that I might drop into a, a gymnastics time. class. I might just well, drop. I, I might just drop into a gymnastics class tomorrow and just be like let's like, get my six three butt flipping around in some foam. Let's do this, you know. You know they have. Um, I, don't know, like, yeah, I was just talking about this yesterday with Will. Um, Will is it? It's Schneider. It's, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, because um, Will was uh, so the so. Just side note, explain the CrossFit class system. Is like, it's interesting, and I want to hear it again. Like, how can you get these classes that CrossFit is offering? You know what I'm talking about? How can you get? Because it, now it's like uh, preferred gymnastics courses. Oh, okay. So you mean take the specialty courses? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you can go on their website and they have specialty courses like in every discipline, and you can uh, they, they should have a link on the CrossFit.com page to sign up for those. Yeah, you can yeah. kind of work with like subject matter experts in those. In those areas. So there's like Olympic lifting, and then apparently there's uh, uh, gymnastics. gymnastics. They have a couple levels of gymnastics ones now. I've only been to the level one when it was a while, like six years ago, but it'd be nice to go to some of the Well, and, I'm, and I don't mean to get stuck on this topic, but it's it's, it's interesting because I, I think that um, I, I feel like this is a, not a crazy argument, that when you are predisposed to throwing at a young age, that the shoulder adaptations are going to make it way easier for you to throw. Like, let's say you, you throw a bunch between five and eight years old, and then you don't throw again. You, that, that foundation that you created with the shoulder adaptations, like that will typically maintain those um, if you try to access them at like 13, 14, 15 again. Whereas if like um, uh, what I'm experiencing right now is learning these gymnastics movements at the heaviest, you know, 208 at 30 years old, like if I would have been predisposed to that at 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, or even like 3, I suppose, right? I just feel like that would be a lot easier for me to pick up. 
And the only reason I'm suggesting this is because I, I think it was a Cressy thing. Or there's something somewhere who was saying that this average Joe off the street came, up, came, came into this gym and he could do a bar muscle up, like right now. And he was like, you know, enough overweight to be like, well, how the hell did you just do that? He's like, well, I went to military school when I was a kid and we had to do bar muscle ups or ring muscle ups or something at like seven, eight years old. Yeah. And it's like, it just doesn't go away. And so, you know, we think about, um, I don't know, I, it's just, I, I'm thinking out loud as far as, like, what are parents putting their kids in, and, like, maybe, I mean, I don't know, like, I can see the average dad being like, I don't know that I want my kid in gymnastics, I don't want, you know what I mean? So, you kind of have two ways that someone gets strong. You know, you've got, you know, muscle hypertrophy and neurological adaptations. So, like, muscle hypertrophy, like, you know, we don't work out, you know, kind of, goes away somewhat. Neurological adaptations, we tend to hang on to that. You know, and that's that's the efficiency of our central nervous system to recruit bigger fibers, recruit more fibers faster, syncing together. Like that kind of stuff doesn't tend to we tend to hang on to that. A really great example, like in CrossFit classes like, you know, in your mom's groups, you might have a mom that comes in that, you know, hasn't worked out in like fifty years but they can do a handstand because she did it when they were you know, we're growing gymnastics. Or, or cheer, you know? Yeah. yeah. Totally. That's awesome. We, we, uh, <clears throat> I think, I think I know where Cass was going to go with that is, is like what he was saying about the shoulder disposition or like the, whatever the word you use for it. Oh, that Adaptation. Was Adaptation. Um, we have a, a nine-year-old that is, he's been throwing with me for two years now, maybe a little bit more. Um, but the way he moves is, I don't know. It's elite for his age by at least, I don't know, Cass, if you were to guess, what, four or five years, the way he moves, like, and puts everything together, That's like. He, 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 he throws as well as anybody I've ever seen. I mean, he, he moves as well as big leaders. Yeah, and, it's, and it didn't nothing start. nothing different about it besides he's just a smaller version of it. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't start that way. You know what I mean? And, and it's just like, he's come in once or twice a week working on the motion, and it's fun, and he enjoys it. And like he's all in on his mom says when he goes home, he's constantly, you know, doing the the miming motion of what the throw is and everything. And, and it's just kids obsessed. And that's one of the things that he is told by other people in the industry is like, don't throw too much. Don't do to this too much. Like there's all of this stuff right about like overuse and fear mongering. And it's 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 rampant in our world. Meanwhile, like with me, like that's what I grew up with. And so my question to you is overtraining at a young age for what you've noticed with stuff. Do you feel like that with all of your knowledge base as of right now, do you feel like overtraining is, is like a real thing? Or do you think that it's a lack of honesty between the athlete? Well, you have to know. Yeah. I think with, I think with, if you're talking about younger, younger kids specifically, and doing one thing over and over again, I think really what it comes down to is fundamentals and technique and, and coaches that hold them accountable to doing stuff the right way and and coaches keep an eye on that. You know I mean? I, I don't think it's bad to be throwing a ton at a young age as long as the coaches teach them the right way to do it and, and hold them strictly accountable and don't, essentially just don't be stupid for lack of better. Yeah. For, for lack of a better way to do it, I mean, you know, the the, the, the technique and the accountable fundamentals, no matter what sport we're talking about, is that's the most important thing. 
you know, we need to make sure they have good range of motion, um, that they have stability across the range of motion, uh, and, and, and that they're doing things the right way. But I think it's like, how do you start um, gauging volume and then managing volume and intensity, you know, from your... Okay, so anytime we have stress that's more than recovery, that's, and if that goes on long enough, that's where injuries develop. So I, we we need to circle this, and that is the stuff we need to say. That, say it again, please, for me. Yeah, I just wrote a, a blog on this like last week. Um, but an, an overuse where injury. Where did you find it? Uh, it's on onelifephysicaltherapy.com. It's actually I posted on Allied Collective. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, it's on onelifephysicaltherapy.com, and that it's. Like any time that stress, and this is true, you know, if we're talking about one single motion, it can be true on a global scale as far as working out goes. But if stress is more than recovery for long enough, the tissue breaks down. Okay. And then on simple terms, there's a couple of different stages to that. There's like the tissue breaks down and it hurts after you're done. There's the tissues broken down more and it hurts while you're doing it and kind of warms up. There's the tissue hurts the whole time you're doing it, and then there's the tissue hurts and you can't do it. Like, obviously, we want to, like, manage volume to where when we start to see stuff in stage one, we, like, back off a little bit. You know, and I think having, like, if you were looking at, like, a plan for a month of training, you know, maybe purposefully backing off a little bit, not completely, okay, but a little bit before you need to, like, on the fourth week of the month, so that you can ramp it up a little bit more next week. Because the thing is, we want the tissue to adapt. You know, overtraining is, is, a, is a failure for us to be able to adapt to the stimulus. So it's a constant stimulus that's too strong, and we're not able, our, our body systems are not able to adapt to it. So what we need to do, you know, if we want to progress in whatever our sport is, you know, I deal with a lot of CrossFit type people, okay? You can't come in off the street and then of not doing any and then try to do like three workouts. It's just not going to work. Um, it takes time to build up to that. You know, when we kind of like the right way to do it is almost you go like two steps forward, take a step back, then two more steps forward, take a step back. Two, so you're kind of like modulating the volume and intensity. How would you describe the, just generally speaking, the steps back? Is that stopping? Is that that part, that taking the step back? Is it intensity? What is it? Yeah, because we yeah, have a we have I, a theory I, 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 on that. How do you recover better? Yeah. So, uh, the the best form of recovery is like active is active recovery, meaning you're still moving. Why? Because it improves circulation. Okay. Healing. What healing is circulation. Okay. We don't want to do anything that stops circulation. Okay. But active recovery shouldn't be stressful. Like you shouldn't be like working your ass off during active recovery, but more what I was talking about when you, when you manage your training, like let's say, okay, if you're throwing four days a week, just hypothetically, okay, we're going to do that for three weeks, and then the next week we throw twice a week on that fourth week. So you still do it a little bit, but not quite as much, and maybe not at the same velocity. Or if we look at it in a week period, you know, like when I, for example, program workouts for my gym, for the general population, I deliberately don't make every day really hard. 
because I want people to be able to come consistently. Okay, so you, you should know this. So we have three days. This is John's idea. It's brilliant. I lean into it hard. We have 100% days, 20% days, and 50% days. And these are just like rough estimations of the yeah. approximate um, intensity and then volume. And so like working through that. So what I have prescribed like for our remote training client from Minnesota is right now he has 100% day a week. And then he can do as many 20% and 50% as he's willing to do. And I think I might have given him a max of like, you can't do more than three 50% on top of that. Right. And so that's what we're giving them. Um, when, so when you say four and two, like how much can you do? Do you know what I'm saying? So like I, for CrossFit, I've been going, I couldn't go six days a week at the beginning. I was yeah. going like four to five. And then just like one day, I just like barely there. <clears throat> and now like I have a little issue. So I'm going, but I'm, taking it easy so that's yeah. been my approach um can you like knowing that about our system can you just keep going on that a little bit yeah so kind of just let me be more specific so you want to know how do you modulate the intensity or well okay so i think it's like okay so i'm going to sit here and tell everybody that people ask me how often should i come to a gotcha to train? Okay. all right so like how, how often should so what you want to do, this comes down to the relationship the coach has with the athlete. Okay. You need to be able to talk to them. And, um, so like I ask how they're feeling and never accept the answer good. Like you want them to actually like tell you something relevant. Um, you know, are they feeling really sore? You know, do they feel like they just don't have today or do they feel really good? I mean, that's the, I, I think that's really what it comes down to. It's like, are they able to put in quality workouts? You know, is their performance suffering? Are their joints starting to hurt? You know, we want to be ahead of all that stuff. Yeah. I, so it's super subjective, and it yeah. has to be. So, like, this is what we keep on saying. Yeah. Like, people want to know exactly what it is, and it's mm -hmm. not. That's why the, the, the model, I'm not saying our model is perfect. I'm saying this is what models that understand that idea will typically look like right. because it's a guideline and then it creates that subjectivity in it. Like, what is your opinion? Do you feel good? Do you need, and maybe you need to have zero 100% days for five, five weeks. You know what I mean? These are things that we can always consider, but you just have to establish, like you said, like that. Yeah, and right. and we, we modify everybody's plan as they go weekly on stuff based right. on like workload before, workload after. Um, you know, what their schedule is going to be coming up with, what they need to focus on. You know, um, right now we're into winter ball and some of the kids are going off and playing winter ball with their schools. So before this, we've been doing what we call a build phase where we're just trying to get everything to be more powerful, be more consistent, trying to maximize your power output and, and be accurate at the same time. And then, you know, putting the, our, our recovery days or what we call the 20% days, like making sure that, if you are coming in twice a week, like we want you to, that it's either two days in between or three days in between, just depending on, on how you feel. That way that you can really, when you come in, you're not, you don't feel like you're wasting your time. You're coming in, okay, right. I feel fresh. I'm going to work on something. I'm going to try to get better at it and then go from there. So, and then the 50% days that we have in there are what we call like command or feel days where it's more about like, okay, we're going to spend some stuff, but we're not going to rip it. You know, we're just going to feel good with it and try to go from there. And most of the time we have to monitor that and one thing that I really, really like about when we monitor our 50% days is like, we know what the guys like normal max velo is. So if they're ramping up too hard and throwing too hard, we can be like, Hey man, like 
that's not what today is. Today is about feeling your motion and just trying to be fluid and not put too much stress on the joint for what you're doing, you know? So. Yeah, so like, sorry. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. So like in the, in the gym, we kind of refer to that as like, you have practice, training, and competition. You know, competition is when you're like sending it. You know, training is we're, we're working hard, but we're not, not so much concerned with what the score is. And again, I'm talking about CrossFit. And it practices like low intensity, very high focus on how, on, on what it is we're, you know, trying to do. And I think, again, that comes with the coach and the athlete getting to understand like what the intent of the training session is. You know, and, and as long as that's communicated, uh, and the athlete listens to you, you know, should you yeah. have shade. I'm just going to elaborate on an idea because I haven't really shared this really. I'm just thinking out as I'm talking, like, the idea that 20% can also be like literally the speed that you go into each and every movement. So something that I've been talking to a lot of our players about is just like, okay, so we're standing here in this. So our first drill is like constraint. It's just an opposite foot first. Okay. So normally when I throw my left foot would be forward. So I go my right foot first to constrain my ability to get completely turned. Right. So I have to work really hard to create hip and shoulder separation to actually throw this ball. Okay. Right. And and so the idea is that there are simple positions within this. Right. And so um, there, there can be balance within that just between your feet. Right. So some people want to stand 80, 20 and to become more aware of these things by standing there and being in that position and asking yourself, what is this position? What does this feel like? What is making me do this? And the implications of like, you already talking about the neurological benefits earlier of like, okay, I've been saying to John, just like, let's put people in a lunge, right? And just because it's so simple and, and it can teach that. So the 20% days, that's where we're just saying like, nobody's talking about the, the days that you're down on those days of where you're actively recovering to also be doing things that are challenging in a different way. Oh, absolutely. So intensity doesn't have to be like, like there can be intensity of focus, you know, really focusing on, I, I learned a really hard lesson actually about this long time ago. Once I, I started to, you know, so I had foot problems for a long time in 2013 in the, in the open, I did one of the workouts with Box Johnson. It you know, didn't work out well for me and my Achilles swelled up and developed bursitis and, and that kind of sent me on a really serious downhill path with it. And I had a cortisone shot. Um, in the tin, which don't do that, but I didn't know any better at the time. Uh, I remember, yeah, next year, re I hadn't started school yet, and next year reading my textbook about how that was like a bad idea. It was like, awesome. <laughs> Anyhow. Uh, so why do they do it? Like, I, I know so many of my teammates that got a cortisone shot in their shoulder, and like, you know, I specifically remember this one guy. Different than the yeah. Achilles. Yeah. The Achilles has very much, I mean, it's still not necessarily the best thing, because the like so cortisone, that steroid like will, will shut down inflammation, uh, and however, when it's done, it can degrade the tendon yeah. and can make you more susceptible to rupture. Yeah, uh, the Achilles has a lot less blood flow than some of the other tissues, so that's a that's a real thing. Yeah, now, there are times, specifically with the shoulder, where someone who's really really bad off that they can't tolerate physical therapy. And then cortisone shot might not necessarily be the worst thing because we like we can't they're so reactive that they can't tolerate any kind of therapy. Um, 
scores on shots so they can keep keep playing is not that's not what we want to do. Yeah, well, and um, that, that's my. When they're done repeatedly, like you can really see some some tissue degradation. My my point was like that. I remember two people specifically that I went to college with. They got cortisone shots in the shoulder. You know, you follow the protocol. I think it's like a, a couple days of no movement, and then they start doing range of motion stuff. And then like a week later, the guy's out there ripping balls again, and it just seems like it didn't work. And I, and I don't I don't know if it was a time frame thing, if the guy did need more rest or whatever's going with it, but it's like such a common story where you where you hear these guys that go. You know, it's one thing if you're in the World Series. If, I'm, if we're going to the World Series and a cortisone right. shot's going to help me get to the offseason that's only a week away, then I get that. But, right. like, in a Division II college baseball season that you're not even winning and you get a cortisone shot and neck weird, like, at, three weeks later after you have the, Tommy, the the cortisone shot, then you tear your UCL and then you have to have Tommy John. It's like, what I don't understand, like, how you even got there. You know, it seems like that the whole – in my experience, like no offense to the physical therapy world, but I just feel like everything that I did with my arm, like I was an obsessed dude. I was at, I, I did, like I said, I had misdiagnosed thing with my elbow. I was at the training room three times a day, before class, after class, after practice. I did everything I possibly could to get back, quote unquote, for the team, which is why I've changed my whole team philosophy on everything because adults lie to college students. And it, it's just like a whole situation that, just turned me off on the whole thing. And, and it's just, you get ignored as athletes, as pitch, as, you know, as baseball players, because they don't know how to quantify pain or, or help you feel better and do stuff. They just put ice and stem on it and then just send you on your way. And like, it's just a frustrating situation knowing what I know now, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like ultimately what it comes down to is no one spends enough time with the person, you know, it's a, a very cookie cutter. Like, I remember asking the doctor about it. He's like, well, this is the treatment. Well, all right, he's a podiatrist. You know, it seems like that's what we're doing. And it isn't, you know, it's not, really, yeah, there's, there's not enough time, and people aren't sometimes treated like people. It's just kind of like a number, and you're just kind of cycling on through. And, you know, that's not looking out for the long-term health of someone. You know, the I think, too, a lot of times in medicine, we I, I don't like to use the term weak because this isn't me, but like if, if you go to the doctor there and, and you're like, I can't run because my knee hurts, all they hear is your knee hurts and they tell you to stop running so that your knee won't hurt. But you're not there because your knee hurts, you're there because you want to be able to run. And they don't necessarily get that. Yeah. Oh, I, trust me. I, that's the exact concept that happened to me. So I, I went through three different physical therapy centers. The first one I went to is the Andrews Institute and they're rehab I was showing up every day and doing jobs and things that like I could do at home but I was driving an hour so I was getting frustrated so then when I was talking to my first physical therapist about it he brought over his superior and I started asking him and I was like this is the first time you know um I was comparing the protocol to what I was getting and taking it to my uncle who had been in the baseball world too who's also a physical therapist and he's like that's just all by the book stuff and, and like, they're, that's what they're going to do. If you want more, you need to ask for more and tell them this and that. Because I'm like, why am I driving an hour and a half to stand on this BOSU ball and do eyes, wise and T's and all this stability stuff when I can do this at home in my own gym? I don't need to be doing it under the supervision of that. I should be doing other things. And then we got into soft tissue work and other stuff. And then it just turned into a big waste of time because the guy's like, I don't really know. When you're at, like, what's supposed to be the mecca of, like, 
athlete performance and everything. And then your physical therapist says, I don't know. And then his boss says, I don't know. And then all these other people like, and then you find your own research and be like, well, what about nerve flossing? What about all these other things that we know help with pain and do stuff like that? And then they're kind of like, well, that's kind of new, blah, 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 this and that. And like, I go online, find a YouTube video, do a crazy thing with my wrist, get some stuff going. All of a sudden I get some relief and I'm like, why was that a problem? Why was that a, a so difficult for you not to, cause, cause it is by the book on everything, but it sounds like you have a different experience too. Like what you were saying with your practice with stuff where the time spent, the, the, the answers are normally in what they're doing. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like ultimately you gotta spend like time with people in your kind of physical, the, the traditional physical therapy setting, the way it works is you're, you're going to go in, you're probably going to, you're going to eval with a PT. Maybe it's 30 minutes, maybe it's longer, maybe it's less. It really just kind of depends on the place. Uh, and then you get shuffled to an aide or a PTA. And, and it's not that I don't want to say that those people don't know what they're doing, but they're not, they don't have doctorates. Like, and next time you go, you might not have the same aide or PTA. Yeah. You might see the same PT, you might see a different one. But you kind of get just kind of you get a very cookie cutter approach um, to a thing. Like I, I went to I worked per diem at a clinic uh, for a little bit, and so that's kind of like when per diem for those you know that's like say somebody calls in sick, they assume he's just like hey, we're gonna cover this person. So we're going, and they were giving me like the orientation, and they gave me this list of papers of these are the exercises that we like to be able to do, and like. I had like in my head, I'm like, what do you mean? Like, yeah. I can't make my own stuff up. Yeah. Like, well, what? You don't need, you don't need a doctor to be able to do this. Yeah. But the thing is, they have it that way. So you mark down the ones you want and then you like hand it to the aid and they kind of take them through that. And, yeah. It's a delegation uh, system. It's so, it's so obvious. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's because you can have someone that you, basically give them to people that you don't pay as much and allows that PT. To yeah. It's a machine. I get it. Yeah. You know? Trust me. I was, I was in, I was in the machine. Like I sat next to like big time quarterbacks and all these other people and everything. And I, I saw that I was not cool enough to get the attention that what I needed at the right place. And then the other thing that, that kind of bothered me too, especially being next to those more high profile type athletes is that because I was not a high profile athlete, my goal was different from the guys. But my personal goal was to get back to throwing harder and better than I did before. But their goal was to get me back to be a walking, normal human. That They kept telling me, well, if you're – it's like I had ACL reconstruction too. Well, if you're going sit to sit behind a desk, you know, it's really not that big a deal. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, am I just going to sit my whole life? Like, and, and then the, the, the therapists are telling me the same thing with my arm. Well, you may never throw again. I go, why? It's a bone. Like, I don't understand what you're talking about. Like, it doesn't even – that whole concept of what you just said doesn't make sense. Well, you know, some people have, have this happen and they never come back. So we kind of have to say it that way. That way we don't get your hopes up. I'm like, oh, so hope's bad now. Okay. All right. You know, and it's a whole situation of things that like you just hear one after the other. And then we've created this culture in our side and the baseball side of stuff where as soon as there's any kind of pain or issue in anything, immediately you're getting an MRI, you're going to a physical therapist. You're doing everything you can to get there because the whole information system is off on our side. Now, is that something that you see with, with in your business too with stuff where it's like 
people that come in don't necessarily understand how the whole process works in order to be able to get back to 100% or even better. Yeah. Um, the, so kind of in, in your insurance-based physical therapy system, the, the insurance company is going to cover you up to a certain point. You know, it's not going to be to throw 100 miles an hour more than like it. Um, but in, the, in, in this, this kind of business, someone comes in to me and I'm asking, what's your, like, why are you here? What's your goal? And it's generally, when someone does like cash-based PT, what they're paying for is problem solving. Mm -hmm. They want to know why they can't do whatever, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, and it's my job to figure out how we can get them back to doing that. Now, what I like to do is outline kind of a roadmap to do that kind of thing. Yeah. So, hey, look, these are the thing, these are the steps we need to take to get you where you want to be. And while it may involve like backing off, backing off for me usually means we're just going to do some other stuff for a little while. Okay. While we let that heal. And we're going to kind of fix some imbalances, figure out, figure out what the holdup in this is. And a lot of times if people come early enough, you know, when I was talking about how we've got the hurts after you do it hurts, you know, warm, but like if people come like early enough, it's usually a pretty easy fix because we can, you know, like if I spend an hour with someone, I can find some stuff pretty easy to work on. I mean, it's, it's not hard to figure out, figure out what's wrong uh, in an hour. Another kind of problem with that is generally people that are higher level athletes move a lot better than the average person you see in a clinic. You know, the, the clinic that I had, had worked at was all, like, work comp kind of people. So, like, if there's some people there that were, like, doing hurt, and there's some people that, like, just don't want to go back to work. And, you know, it's a very different kind of mindset than someone that comes into me and is like, hey, look, um, I'm training for this race. My Achilles hurt. What do I need to do? Um, so, yeah, uh, just we just got to basically figure out what the roadmap is to get them to where they want to be. And it all centers around correcting the movements, fixing the imbalances, and then getting the tissue to adapt. So I'm just thinking of like the different levels too of like, okay, so you have somebody that, that isn't very invested, that doesn't move very well, and then the corrections, it's like the answers to those problems are still kind of like, well, you should probably care about your body all of the time and like live differently. And how do you not say that? Because I know that the movement quality thing for me is like life changing. Oh, like yeah. just like that's why I talk about the acne balls. Like they're because they are like feeling better is is it feels like a superpower. Yeah. Right. So, so like, how do you not say that? And do you know what I'm saying? And, and I struggle with all the time. I don't know what else to say. Like I don't know if I'm asking a question. So the like, most <laughs> important part in in all of this, it's not the exercise that we do with the person. It's getting the person to buy in and getting them to understand I have this problem, getting them to take ownership of whatever their issue is. If we don't accomplish that, none of this other bullshit matters. It's a waste of time. Yeah. Um, that is what's most important. That take, like the most important part of physical therapy is patient education, like hands down. And it takes time to do that. And we're not always able to have that massive paradigm shift with people in one session. But ultimately, what what works the best for me is I have to be able to show someone some sort of change right then. So they see, Oh, this is how this is supposed to feel. You know, 
And not that, not that I'm saying we might get magically fix someone immediately, but if we can show some sort of positive result right there, like, okay, look, if you do X, Y, and Z, this is the way we're going to go. Okay. But, but that ownership of the issue, it is like, without that, it's, you know, you know, waste, wasting time. Yeah. I totally get it. And, and I, going back to the beginning of, of what you were just saying, um, I, and in my opinion, I feel like one of the biggest issues is people wait too long to be able to ask for help in the pain situation because it's the biggest thing on our side with young kids where like even even to who somebody who might have Tommy John, right? Talking about the amount of pain that has to happen before that happens, right? And you're just not even being honest with yourself just because you want to continue doing whatever it is that you're doing and in this case throwing, right? So we're constantly asking you know, a kid might throw a ball randomly and, and, and in an hour session or hour and a half, we might ask that guy, Cass, I don't know, help me out, 10, 15 times? How did that feel? Like on right. completely yeah. different yeah. movements or drills? Yeah. Giving it numbers to, like, so I'm on 10 is terrible, 1 is awesome, you know, explaining you know, where I want to be and, you know, just establishing guidelines. So. Yeah, I mean, just trying to create a connection like what you're saying and, and get more feedback honestly from the from the people that are throwing and how they're doing and, and like making sure that okay when they get done throwing on a scale of one to ten like he says maybe they're at a four and then we find out okay where is it a four where do you you know and we start attacking some of those things with acuballs or you know our massage gun or or just doing other exercises to increase blood flow and, and other things like that to help just make feel just just feel better like we want you to leave feeling better just as you did when you came in you know what i mean like you, when you leave with us, you should just feel tired. That's it. You should just feel tired. Like, so that's a, that's a battle that you'll, that's a never-ending battle. And I think the way I like to attack that is say, hey, look, whatever it is your goal is, you have to be able to keep showing up to get there. And if we don't want to do, if, if whatever it is we do today, if it prevents you from being able to come back tomorrow, you didn't get better. It's, it's that simple. Like it takes a while to get wherever it is you're you're trying to go. You know, if you want to be good at whatever it is, it takes it takes a while, and you got to be able to keep showing up. So it's important that you communicate if you're having joint pain or this or that, so we can shut. So we can because a lot of times, like if people say something like at the beginning, it's not it's not hard to fix. You know, it can be like one stretch. I mean, it's usually very simple. To, to fix when it when it's caught like early on yeah but when you get to that level four where you can't do it kind of thing then you really have like that's a whole different that it becomes a project because by that time you probably have a couple other secondary issues that have risen from that yeah and just kind of it's a lot easier to fix like a small problem than like seven problems yeah because it's the compensation and the, the chain of events that happen out of it I, I'm, I want to know what's in front of me right now because I don't know how to bring it up. So okay. can we talk more about what your notes are? In front yeah, of so, cool stuff yeah, so um, I'm not an expert in throwing technique, but I was just researching um, kind of different phases of throwing, kind of some of the muscle activations uh, that happens during that. And so like, yeah, what I got here was from a textbook I was reading. I just took this course on shoulder rehab. Um, some of the stuff's like kind of nerdy, um, but uh, we kind of have five phases of the throw right here. 
uh, wind-up, early cocking, late cocking, acceleration, and then the follow-through. And just kind of what I have in front of me is like, it's kind of a quick down and dirty of what the muscles are doing at, at some of those different, some of those different phases. And I can send you the, kind of where I got this. If you yeah, want. There's yeah. Like, I mean, it's like 50 pages of stuff. I want to I okay. hear this read out loud. Yeah, I don't. Want, I don't want to interrupt you because I like my I, alarm bells just went off in my head when you just said those five things. You know, so it's all, you know what I mean. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, just listen, listen. Yeah, no, for sure. Go ahead. Uh, so you want me to you want me to just read this out loud? No, I mean like give. Yeah, let's right let's hear your take. Can you give them a yeah. Yeah, let's get so let's hear your take on it. The. Let's start with the first one. Yeah, so in the wind up, that's when we remove the hand from the glove. Okay. And what essentially happens there is the rotator cuff has, like the job of the rotator cuff is to seat, is to prevent like superior migration of the humeral head. So what that means is we've got our humerus, it prevents it from drifting upward and banging into the acromion. So I don't know if you guys have heard of the term, I'm sure you guys have heard of the term impingement. That's just a big word for compression. It means something's getting smashed. Okay, the rotator cuff doesn't fire correctly, it drifts up, which, uh, I'm sorry, the humerus drifts up, Smashes the rotator cuff tendons in the front. What what would uh, that what would that movement look like? Is it kind of like a one sided shrug, or is it like something pushing down, or do you see where like that shoulder hangs down lower yeah, on that side, so or when someone has shoulder issues, the first thing I want to look at is what we call well, what we're really talking about is inadequate scapular humeral rhythm. Okay, so for every degree that the scapula moves, the shoulder should move two degrees. Okay, because you think about it, scapula's back here, my my arms farther away, so this is gonna move faster than that. Right? Well, when something's off, the the scapula starts to excessively move. So we can see the trap shrug up. If you're behind the person you can usually see the scapula kind of wing out to the side. No, no, I can the the keep going, keep going. You can like if you uh, really good, you can spot this like in CrossFit classes. A lot of times people have a shirt off. You can see like an overhead movements. People are kind of doing that with arm overhead to compensate with that upper trap. Usually, the first compensation you'll see is that upper trap. Uh, it's just yeah. it, it makes so much sense. I mean, I don't want to get too deep into it, but like we can, we have. I mean, I mean this, John. Like we have talked about this so much. We don't need to keep on beating a dead horse, but like. This is the, we see these patterns that you're just talking about all of the time, and it's just like accepted that that's being okay, and just like the general state of just being here and the shoulder being in this position, and then the things that Clint was just showing, and just like anything that anything that makes that even subtly, and you're not trying to, right? People are sitting here, is what you're saying, right? And it's it's you're not watching this happen, but it's happening, right? Yeah. And, it's and, like right now, I mean, we're I'm sure we're fine. Right, exactly. And so it's just this habitual being in that state. I don't know how we got here. We're on wind up, drawing into the humerus in uh, uh, impingement so is what it was. Impingement. Impingement. Uh, next up, we got the early cocking, and that's when the dominant hand uh, leaves the glove and the front foot lifts off the ground as the body moves forward. So, really, what that was the, the big stabilizer at that point. So we're going to talk about how the wind up the humerus okay. is seated into the uh into the glenoid possible here. The big thing we want to know is the uh inferior glenoid, the main stabilizer is the inferior glenohumeral ligament, okay, as well as the labrum. 
So as you're going to see later on, what what starts to matter in this point for you guys, when people are really tight back here in the posterior capsule, okay, that throws off what we said. It kind of changes the moment of the humerus, and it causes the labrum to, to collide into the contact with plenum. And so over time, if that goes on, we can tear the labrum, uh, we can do bicep tendon, that kind of stuff. And you can, you're going to see like this kind of stuff happen, okay? Or, or some sort of weird thing happen whenever they're throwing. And I'm getting a little bit off topic here, but one thing I really, because I'm sure there are probably people that don't play baseball listen to this, something that, that I learned a long time ago, 2011, when I went to one of the first uh, Kelly Starrett seminars, movement faults are not unique to one exercise. If I see, like, I make a joke with people, I can watch someone squat, and I have a pretty good idea what their running is going to look like. If you hyperextend when you squat, you probably also hyperextend when you run. Like, if it's not like you're just only jacked up at this thing. It's like, no, you're using your psoas to create stability on everything. And that's a, that's just, I want to throw that out there because just no matter what it is you're coaching and just as people, like that's something people need to know. Yeah, yeah. So what I'm, okay, so I'm starting to understand this a little bit better. So this is, this is describing what's going on in the shoulder. This is just yeah, the, the shoulder scapula going to throw. Yeah, so this is a five step thing of the whole entire thing. So there's like points of reference. This is a timeline. Um, so like, I, I don't know enough of this. I don't know that. Like, are you able to follow all of this? Yeah, I know exactly what he's doing. Go for it. Yeah, okay. okay. So we, we can keep going and we should, but I, I'm i just pointing that out for the people that aren't following that. That's what we're walking through, we're talking about what's happening in the shoulder throughout the delivery of the throat. Yes? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, so the next step, we got the late cocking. That's when that front foot hits the ground and right as we start to begin internal rotation. At that so point, it's the change of... Yeah, it's right where the direction starts to change. Okay. Um, and so you're at your maximum external rotation. Uh, normal, according to the AAOS, American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, external rotation is 90 degrees. But don't make... Like, pitchers are going to have a lot more arc of motion in the shoulder. Theirs is going to be 120, 125. Because, like, 90 degrees is like here. Yeah. Like exactly like that, you're gonna be able to get a whole lot farther than that. Um, so um, at this point, once the, the the rotator cuff muscles are externally rotating arm, once we get to that point, they shut off, and then your subscap, serratus, uh, X, um, you know, they have to they're they they're basically decelerating that external rotation, and then when we start to change direction, well, a little bit more. So at this point, the biceps tendon has to maintain stability on the humerus, and that's where, uh, and then once we start to change directions, the tricep fires, and then the joint capsule is, is basically wound tight. So those of you that don't, I mean, I'm getting like really nerdy here. The joint capsule uh, is, a, is a band of ligaments, um, ligaments tissue that, in, that encircles a joint, and it kind of holds it in its space. So that's different from a uh, different from a tendon. So a joint capsule is more like ligaments tissue. The big difference that 
people need to know between ligaments and tendons is tendons are elastic, ligaments are not. You know, they don't just like snap back into place. So like once ligamentous tissue is stretched too far, it's it's like a like a ligament has like consisting of a rope. It's like once it's like stretched, it's kind of it's useless, right? Because the ligament's supposed to check excessive motion. Okay? And I'm breaking this up because that's why it's so important that the scapula and rotator muscles and all that stuff do what it's supposed to in a movement like this is really where like shit's moving really fast. Like I'm gonna get to that here in a minute. But if, if those if those muscles aren't doing their job, the ligaments have to absorb that impact and they don't have the elasticity. So if that goes on too long, that's where we get the joint laxity. So what most people don't see is how many how much shoulder work we make our kids do. Because we have heard this, I mean his his thing is like 55 exercises. I came into the program going, this is excessive job. We don't need to do this much shoulder work. And now I know that it is 100% like one of the biggest components of our program because yeah. we just have the capacity of their shoulders to just do so much more. Mm-hmm. And they're constantly working in upward rotation and depth. You know what I mean? Like, it, I it works different. It works different. Stability perfect. angles and all kinds of stuff too. Like yeah. it's, it's it just each, each section has its own functionality of what we're trying to accomplish with the shoulder. You know, we work, we do some push-up holds. We, we do some shoulder touches with some younger, some very basic fundamental stability things that happen into some stuff, even some overhead pressing on stuff that I, we were all told was wrong, but really helps. You know, I, one that I really like that feels really good is called like, we, I call it a deep press where you just go as low as you possibly can with your elbows and then go as high as you possibly can, just the maximum range of motion with stuff. And we just see a lot of, it just, it works with our younger guys and stuff, so. Continue though, because I have what? There was everybody. Most yeah. people are not training this enough because you can do so much more. We just give our kids so much wiggle room by having such a high capacity with them. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know any coach that's going to be against having a strong foundation. I don't know why you wouldn't. Why would you not want to? Well, okay, so like, the, 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 for for the record, like, so the argument is going to come from. Okay, well, are we? What are what are the what are the things that we're doing besides that? So the attack would be that we're only doing this. But our argument comes from what well, we have baseball players that want to come to us, and I can't control their entire lives. Right. And so they specifically want us to be good at. They want to be good at throwing because of us. Right. And so when we isolate that, and we just make the scapula just as as um, functional as they possibly can be with a high capacity to work, we're just giving them the ability to just like. You know, I don't know, just a buffer. Just you do, yeah. Just, it's, it's, they shouldn't it's, be doing other things too, yeah. right? They should be doing lunges. They should be having more of a comprehensive approach to it. But sometimes the fastest way to do it is what people are going to gravitate towards. And that, like, I don't know, I know it sounds bad, but it should. You should hear this and go, yeah, that sounds bad. So don't do it. Don't just do the bare minimum. Yeah, the, the stronger your scapula is, the more volume of training like the more volume and intensity you need to do. And then skill acquisition, hockey sticks up, and you can do yeah. things. Like this is where the, this is where the high velo, like we'll see big changes in that. By the way, I, I need to come back to this because I'm just thinking things now. A little flow state. When you were talking about like the, the ability for, I, I just lost it. I said flow state. Just give yourself up. Keep going. Dang it. Can't yeah, finish, finish this up because like I understood what you're saying and stuff, and I have some questions that I want to ask you. Go ahead. Okay. I got two, I got two more. Um, and then remind me, make sure y'all talk to me about tendon strengthening at some point in this. Uh, so 
acceleration. Uh, at that point, we're going into internal rotation. So we're coming out of the lake cotton phase, basically we're starting to go in, into our internal rotation. So the scapula is going to protract. So I want you to think, you think a person, that means the, the, the thing of this is the, I hate to use the term core, but the meat, like the middle of the big piece of the body, the force is going to start here and it's going to travel down the arm. Okay. So obviously a lot of force moving slow. And as you go farther out, it's moving a lot faster. The, the scapula is going to downward rotate via serratus anterior, um, forward flex. We're going to hit maximum internal rotation. Um, and then we're going to have some, a small amount of horizontal adduction during that. Uh, so like really what's happening here is our external rotators are taken back here and then the internal rotators are going to take over and launch that baseball. And the, I kind of wrote some numbers can down here. Can you say that horizontal adduction when there's a small amount of it? Yeah. So uh, for those of you that aren't following along, for the record, that's when there's too much of that, that's the pushiness. So when those of you that get underneath it, it's too much horizontal adduction. That's what that would look like. So a tiny bit is okay and, and normal. Five degrees. And and, a, and too much of it is that, that's where you get that. So too much of it, just with the motion you're expecting the pushing, that's where you're going to get valgus stress on the elbow you know we were talking about tommy john kind of stuff earlier uh, okay so here this is where i'm going to keep going on this because this is why the trunk the too much of a linear trunk will create too much of that and, it, and it's like counter to what people think it would do like literally the opposite of what, what should be happening so that rotation of the trunk is going to have less is going to promote less horizontal adduction in this motion Right, so and when we get too much, you're right. So everybody's worried about protecting the elbow. Less people are worried about protecting the shoulder because that we're not seeing labrum tears, we're not seeing rotator cuff injuries like we're seeing Tommy Don stuff. Got so it. there we go. That's Thanks that's on. predominantly why a lot of our arm care stuff is shoulder based. So you got uh, just wrote down some numbers here. Uh, the the humerus is moving at an angular velocity. 10,000 degrees a second. And this is, this is yeah, I'm sure these numbers are like professional level where, where it came from. Uh, and the if the humeral head, you're looking at about 27,000 pounds per inch kinetic energy. And so pretty neat, pretty neat kind of stuff. Uh, and so, I, I can show you where I got all this. Is I, I have heard, this is this is not new information to me. I've heard that like I just said this last night on the floors of some of our kids. The shoulder speeds in baseball are the fastest in sports. Nothing is nobody's moving faster than us. So and, and then and then I say and then I go into you talked about focus earlier. I go and you're not going to take this seriously right now. You're going to like take this throw off and you might throw you might move faster than you've ever moved before right now. And you're not going to take this rep seriously, and it, it's a little dramatic, but yeah. it's it's real because that's it's crazy. But that's your job is to get people to focus. Yeah. Like when people get like we had a saying in the Navy, um, there's some diving and jumping stuff, complacency kills because it does. <laughs> yeah, I know it's dark, but like these I mean, things, just, this is what happens when you take it. I mean, I, one one day in four years did train one day. That'll teach you something. So. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Uh, all right, next up, we got the follow-through. All right, so follow-through, basically that's where the external rotators have to take over and decelerate the arm. So let's kind of think about 
what, what's happening to those. So that means the arm's like the farthest away from the body, right? So we've gone from way back here all the way here. So those, those rotator cuff muscles now at the end range internal rotation. So you think if we're in range internal rotation, our external rotators are at maximum length. We're following this yeah. so far. So they're maximum length, and they've gotten there really fast. So they're going to have a massive eccentric load that's placed on them to decelerate that arm. Okay, and that's where all that shoulder work really, really important. Um, and then that's where I, I talk a little more about a tight posterior capsule. Um, if if the the posterior part of the shoulder is tight, that's where you're going to have compression. With, that's going to cause it kind of throws the moment the moment of this off, and that's when you have compression of labor. So, like, really, what we got to think of is hopefully this gets you to understand how important it is to move well. Like, if you if you move well, you're going to be able to do it a lot longer. So, hold, can, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me process that last little part right there because I feel like you just opened my brain and made a lot of sense of some stuff. So, because I, I I I hear exactly what you're saying. And that's the same thing of what was taught to me. And even the technique that you talk about going through that process, the way we talk about it, it's different. It's a completely different activation muscle group of everything that what you're saying, especially in the follow through. But the thing that got me, can you say the part that you said, the, the whole part again about the, the, the what the stress that goes into the labrum, what you were saying about the muscle group on the follow through? So the follow through, so the rotator cuff, the external rotators have to decelerate the arm. After you, like when you let go of the ball, mm -hmm. right? So you know, over here, all these muscles are are lengthened. Mm -hmm. So they're having to resist tension. Mm -hmm. So eccentrics when we lower lower weights, so they're are lengthened under load. So they're going to lengthen under load to be able to to be able to slow that arm down. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Gravity and and g force and everything to it. Yes. And, and uh, so they're gonna they're gonna have to withstand a lot of stress in order to do that. So it's important that they're really strong, not only back here in shortened position, but in the lengthened position as well. Yes. And so, like, what I would what I would take from that uh, is if you think like concentrics when a muscle shortens, eccentrics when it's lengthened, we have to train both pieces of that. Yeah. We got to train both sides of it. Um, that's what's going to help keep those tenons, muscles and tendons really strong. Okay, so so with me, that is a traditional throw. I would say that the Cass, would you agree? That's the best way to describe that as a traditional throw. I, I, you can't you can't infer that. I know what you're trying to say, but like you can't infer what he's saying. So like all I'm hearing is this is why the hold that you do the right way, John. Like he's just talking about what's no no I I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we're not talking about the trunk dynamics. We're not talking about where the pelvis is. We're not talking yeah. about anything else. Exactly, exactly. I know, I know, I know. And that, that's where, so in the part with that, and that's what I'm saying. So he was saying that the arm needs to be able to decelerate, right? And the way we talk about it is actually the opposite. We do not want your shoulder to decelerate your arm. We want gravity to do it. We want it to come to the slowest, at the, the decelerate at the least amount of possible. So you're going to go all the way through as fast as you can. And then do not turn on your shoulder muscle to stop your arm. Let it go as far as it can and then finish in a long, loose, very like rolling stop situation. And when we do that, 
we see a lot more success in our guys that aren't hurting instead of trying to stop their arm as if you described it, right? Where the arm, right. quote unquote, that's needed. Exactly, exactly. I think that's kind of what they're, I don't think this is occurring. Uh, no, exactly. Yes. Exactly. And that's, for me, my brain, that's where it went into. And I think you talked about the part that I was asking about, was, which made sense to me, was like when you try to decelerate the arm with the back of the shoulder, like what you're talking about then you put a slight stress onto the labrum because it has to react into the ligaments. I think that's what you said, right? You're, you're missing it because it's, it's, he's just talking about the muscles that activate him. You can't, you're making inferences that you can't. And I'm not trying to like attack it, but like that's the thing. It's, he's simply just saying what's going on in the no, shoulder. And I understand that. I understand but that. He's but he's not saying that it's stopping. It's stopping no matter what. Like the muscles are on. So you're saying this, isn't, this is a passive activation. This isn't a, a conscious activation. I know what you're saying, John. Yeah. Because you, we, we are promoting the act of like allowing the arm to completely go into right. into rotation. Yes. To be complete, the shoulder like completely what protracted. Yeah. Yes. Like that's and that's where wrist weights and the rope and the holds allowing that to happen. That yeah. dislocation that you talk about, like yeah. that's the tolerance that we're trying to create. The way it was explained to me was a controlled dislocation of the humerus, where it goes in and out through throw. It comes back in and then like where we see the people when they quote, we talk about when I, and I can't, I don't, I don't speak in the, in the physical therapy terms as much as you do. But what I say is when I see people hold onto their shoulder through their follow through, it hurts. And when their shoulder completely disconnects. And that isn't full protraction. Exactly. Like exactly. 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 So and that's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is like, I understand what you're saying and I'm going to say it back for what we talk about. So when the arm completely goes, the, the scapula comes up and it goes through everything, but then we keep it off instead of trying to stop it and we let it go through and finish loosely, we see the stress level to everything that happened to that just not happen as much as when someone stops it abruptly. Right? Yeah, it, you're not, it's, not having, it's not undergoing as much force. It's like a slower down as opposed to a hand. 100%, 100%, right? So for what I feel is it does not feel like it is on, like you're saying. I understand that it will go to it, but there's a there is a point of like where it does do it and then it feels like it's off, and then my arm just never slows down. I just let gravity take over to it. Right. So, like, that's the when I hear the description on the physical therapy side or the, the accurate description of what's going on in the human body, that's where my brain kind of goes, like, well, I understand what you're saying, but I just disagree as far as the principles and the things of what we're talking about into the follow through. Well, I, I, I honestly, I think it's just more of like it, it's so easy to not understand what the hell that means that the interpretation of it and the delivery from here to the athlete in the field is everything. Yeah. And and you're just a representation of somebody who's done that as well as anybody of like knowing how, when somebody puts themselves in a position where they're not feeling good, they can communicate it to you and have a knowledge base of probably correcting most of the things and being smart enough and humble enough to ask for help when you don't, where we bring in a guy like Nick Batch or we continue to have these conversations. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. So, I feel like that's what you're highlighting. I know exactly what you're saying. I'm just trying to like make you like, I'm just trying to bring it all together. No, I did, my, but I wanted to know in his, so my question was, it's like, I'm not, I'm not trying to refute what he's saying or anything. What I'm saying is I want to know if what I just said to him resonates with him for it because, yeah, yeah, because yeah. The, so that deceleration, of, like slamming on the brakes. hundred percent. Cause like, exactly. Yeah, that's, 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 that's the part that when I hear that and then like what was taught with me and what we see with stuff and, and, in our own experience, we see that as one of the most, the biggest problems we see with people with when they're right. throwing. Because we see a, 
just the hand I just completely stops. Yeah, go ahead. Go for it. Okay, so like there are people in so we there's something called the colonial finish, um, where like as you finish, like at, as you get to this end range, that you'll recoil this way as your leg comes around. So I need to step out of frame, so it looks like it still is here, and it's this counter move out of this. And so when you're talking about that high eccentric mode, um, like there's people suggesting that you might want to like kind of lean into that and like also go with that on the way back. But I, I don't think we're promoting that. I think we're just promoting the idea that when you do finish the whole entire body, right, we're talking about complete torso rotation into this position to allow this natural recoil of it to happen. We're not even telling people to do that. Right. We're just telling them to go all the way to end range of motion with the trunk to allow the shoulder as much time as possible to allow this to happen. Because those muscles are all being stretched. Exactly, yeah. It, it looks like it rubber bands out of it on its own, basically, what it's right. like. And then we and have people, people that, that exactly, people say, yeah, yeah. Hey, fuck, you know, this is where we attack, like, hey, make sure you follow through and then, like, um, land in a balanced position where you can feel the ball. Like, and people are making an argument to me that that's even a safer thing. And I'm, I'm saying, like, okay, it might be safe. You can maybe make an argument that it might be a safer way to not hit the face or, or whatever. But I'm saying it's actually counterproductive to your health. Yeah. Right? And so, and I would argue, I can actually argue the side of it being a competitive advantage to be square to the ball. But I don't even care because all I care about is keeping the athlete healthy. Right. And so that, that, that's why we teach the way that we teach, not from a, it's not a competitive, it's only a, it's a movement advantage. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's what it looked like. It's like, so there are people in, I need to, I, I need to get out of the frame. Like, it's okay. We're teaching something that's more like this to be here. And we're seeing people in the industry that are teaching this kind of thing. So like yeah. the axis of rotation is just being kind of like, ignored and the bleeding through it right so it's just like a bad interpretation of what's actually happening kinetically to show that so if somebody does have like elite trunk dynamics you alluded to this a little bit good athletes move significantly better and this typically means they have more range of motion because it's easier for them to express strong positions because even when they get fatigued they're still within a strong range of motion because right. they have more of it what do people who sit next to? They have less of them. So, so, so anyway, the, these high, these good athletes are able to get away with these like really like forward trunks instead of just like working within. So, like trying to bring it back a little bit into the conversation. It's like why we continue to talk to people outside of our industry is like I know that you can you can look at movement like you already said because I can too. I'm looking at like without I I gotta be careful without like being personal, but like. I can see movement inefficiencies in somebody's, like an overhead squat. Think okay. of how many things you can see in an overhead That's squat. A lot of things. Right? And it's just like, what if they got better at the first three inches of that overhead squat? Instead of trying to do the whole entire thing and how much you would learn from simply appreciating something like that. Totally. You know, and that we know that, you know, if somebody comes to us and they can't simply like do one push-up, I know that that conversation is going to be a lot different than somebody who comes to me. We have a kid that just came from CrossFit. Now it's a completely different conversation. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what point where I'm going besides like movement is movement is movement, and that it's just it's it's king that you have to appreciate. You have to get buy-in. I have you can't coach without that. I have another question. Yeah. Uh, you, you said in range of motion in the shoulder, and I and I like that because there's something that we've talked about um, recently too, and what Cass was just showing you. Um, 
it's a different concept of damage of things and, and what we see inside the shoulder and kind of the recoil that happens. And we see that some guys, if their chest does square, go square and their arm goes all the way across their body and their arm bangs into their rib cage or to their stomach or something from there, we're actually seeing damage to the elbow and the shoulder. Um, is that something, so like, it, and it, so range of motion, the way, the way we teach the feeling of it is if you just reach, you just cross your arms and reach as far as you can. We know that your arm is, can only kind of go that way in a, in a not necessarily aggressive type movement, but just reaching at a, at a moderate, you know, power. And so there's positions that people get into where their glove the size high. Is, first off, answer that. Is the nature of being like this generally just sitting right here? No, no, not not even stretching, not even stretching. Like if you just re just reach, cross your arms and reach, and you'll feel pressure on the inside of your shoulder. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the pressure and what I what I've been calling tension is what we're trying to stay away from in most of the throw, right? Any kind of tension will position for your AC joint. Exactly. Right. Right. So if you're throwing and your chest is square and you are following through, and then your arm bangs into your body, it kind of does this unnatural kick out where the shoulder kicks out that way. Right, and that's what we're trying to prevent. Right, it it wing it wings out internally rotates because it just reacts to reaching max range of motion. Right, mm -hmm. so by us having the torso turn farther and then the arm does not hit the body, it actually helps completely with the follow through, and that's what we see with that conio finish that we see with guys. So my question to you is, do you think that at high velocity, the arm banging into the body, and then like, is that a thing? Do you feel like that that if if someone were to do it and the shoulder kicks out, do you feel like that is a damaging move or not? Yeah. Like, I don't see that would be a, I don't see that that would be a good, a good thing at all. Because, um, like, you, you think about how fast it's going, I mean, that's a, that's a really, I mean, this, like, this right here is an infinite test. That's you know? all. So, so take the angle of your elbow right there like you were doing it. And then reach towards your pocket instead of grabbing your shoulder. Reach down there, and that's the feeling right there. Yeah, I feel like if you were to do that, um, especially if it was combined with like tightness back here and posterior capsule, you're looking at like labrum, yeah, um, kind of damage. Do you, is it possible that it could recoil down to the elbow as well? Because uh, here, here's how we see that too. Like if you pronate the hand. And then you go across the body with it the same to that same position, you'll feel it even worse. Yeah, possibly depending on what's happening at the rest of the depending on what's happening with the rest of the throw, definitely. I mean, normally whenever someone has like a tennis elbow or golfer's elbow, the the cause of it a lot of times is lateral shoulder is or scap on the shoulder mechanics. Okay, so why don't we call this baseball elbow? That always frustrates me. <laughs> you know what I mean? But no, it's all funny. Because tennis elbow, right? Tennis elbow is, is can, take elbow. us to the tennis and the golfer's elbow. This way yeah. In that way. Yeah. That's it. That's all we got. Yeah, yeah, for right? sure. So that's not a whole lot, not a whole lot going on there. Exactly. So most of the time with the body, if something hurts, it's either coming from below or above. Joint above and joint below. That's what we want to. That's what we want to take a look at. Is guaranteed one or both of those things is going to be somewhat of a mess. Okay, so if someone's having elbow pain with throwing, I can almost guarantee you their scapula joint comes off. Yeah. Perfect. That's awesome. That's great. That's. I, that, I have a lot of other things. Like 
I, 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 we just don't need to, I, I don't need to ask those questions because I think that's something that we've actually talked about a little bit about. And like, yeah. we, 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 know, we, yeah. we know what we're doing. For sure, There's for sure. Well, no, yeah, you definitely verified, you, you verified a lot of the stuff that what we were talking about. I'm sure Castle, uh, you know, um, have more info. I'm sure we'll have more information. We've been going for about an hour and 20. I, I feel like that's probably enough yeah, for us to go from here. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So respect everyone's time. Yeah, definitely. Why don't you uh, um, tell everybody, you know, where you're at, where's your PT business, you know, so how they can follow you. Us in, a, in a picture, so I think that was your wife taking us. Did you know yeah. how that was from? Uh, so it's called Clint Russell BPT. That's my Instagram uh, Instagram account. I post a lot of just like, I mean, free videos and tips on there. Um, I wrote a blog last week about order use injuries. Uh, and then I wrote a follow-on to it that's also on the website. I haven't put that on Instagram yet, but they're both on my website. What's the name um, of your website? www.onelifephysicaltherapy.com. Okay. Uh, and the whole kind of the whole idea behind that is we all do have one life, so we want to spend it doing whatever it is we want to do. In my job. Yeah, I'm gonna throw baseballs forever. <laughs> hey, that's. I don't think that's. Unrealistic. It's oh, unrealistic. somebody finally said it. Yes. You know, yes. You know, it, all, it all comes down to whether or not you're, you're willing to, to, to put the work in. I mean, that's, yeah. that's it. Yeah, I, I see it all the time. And there's there's guys that I played with in Mexico, like 40-year-old people throwing mid-90s. And I'm like, uh, hold on. What's going on? You know what I mean? Because everything we're taught at a younger age is you only have so many bullets. You can only do so much stuff. Your body can only do this. It can only do that. But like every year there's another story of somebody who like no they just didn't and then there's so, another person and there's another person you know what i mean a little, little, little story here hope this doesn't take too long but i uh in, in, in school we're taught about like what happens to tissue as we get older and, and the general consensus is as we get older the tissue loses its elasticity it becomes so we have uh we have like stress and strain stress is like force applied strain is how much it like bends under the force, like you think of like a stress strain curve, and that's what we use. And as we get older, the tissue doesn't deform as much to stress. It just kind of takes the stress and then it breaks. It kind of breaks apart because the collagen fibers become stiffer. And from what I've seen in CrossFit in my practice and just with myself, does that really happen because we get older? Does that happen because we've just sat on our ass for 40 years? Yeah. And I think the ant the real answer to, the, to that is yes. The tissue does change as we get older. There's no, but how much, like we have a major, major say-so in at what degree that happens. Yeah. I, I got the, uh, kind of the, all right, I mean, I, I got to work with this, uh, this guy. He was, uh, you might have seen this on the news. He was in World War II. Um, he, his, his goal was to, he's, he's 98 now, his goal was to jump into Normandy again this year. Um, he, he did it, like, for real in 1944. Oh, wow. Uh, so my, my job is to help get this guy, like, say get him, because the dude was already, like, fit and healthy. But work with him, keep him in shape, improve his shoulder range of motion, um, so, so he could do that. And, I mean... There's videos on my Instagram of him. Like he can he's ninety-eight. He can do a pass through. Like that's like he can take a PVC pipe and go all the way around. You know? And it's like we've just worked on it. 
you know, he's like the ones that work on that. Uh, he has to bend his elbows um, a little bit because he's got had a gunshot wound in World War II that blew out his radius, so he doesn't have pronation. <laughs> Suck at throwing. But, like, he can move his like, yeah. He's able to do that. And, and the point I'm trying to make is that when, when he was 65, he ran a 10K in 36 minutes. You can just kind of wrap your Jeez. head around that for a second. He's beating me right um, now. I know that. You can make all of us feel like horrible people. But, um, the point is, like, you can get stronger forever. You know, you can you can always improve whatever your situation is. Like, it, there's no there's no finish line really. It's not over until you quit. You know, you can you can keep making gains as long as you're willing to continue to do the work. Awesome. But it comes down to it. That's awesome. God damn it. That's a great one to end that's, on. That's a gross. That's a great one to just. That was beautiful. It really was. Well, you know what? Um, Cass, why don't you sign off this time? You, you've been... All right. Um, so big things right now. Um, so if you're in our community, out of our community, make sure you're subscribing to the Cutter Nation podcast, which is just John's uh, YouTube channel. Right? So Cutter Nation, you can look it up by John Sendez or Cutter Nation on YouTube. Um, that's where we're posting our podcasts. Um, we'll actually be getting up on Apple sooner than later. Um, outside of that, jsintes34 on Instagram, CK Southern Baseball on Instagram. Twitter game is okay. You can find us there if you try hard enough. So, yeah, Cutter Nation Baseball on right. Instagram. We got, we'll be doing new hats um, with Christmas coming up. We have apparel. I got some Minnesota people um, wanting some shirts too. So if you're not a... Um, Local person doesn't matter. Our, our, our shirts are pretty cool. John's, John's made some sweet slogans. So check us out www.cutternation.net. We'll leave it at that. Thanks for watching, guys.